as we step onto the scene of Scripture this morning, we find ourselves in the city of Athens where the Apostle Paul desires to see God do a mighty work. By the way, it ought to be a desire of every born-again child of God to see God do a mighty work. This is the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And, well, things haven't really gone as planned. Don't take me wrong. God has already accomplished some incredible things on this second missionary journey. But it seems like every step of the way, the devil's been fighting. And how it seems most of the time. God begins to show up. God begins to do some amazing things. And yet the devil keeps poking and prodding and sticking his nose and his hands in places where it doesn't belong, right? Having been impressed by God to take his ministry into Macedonia, Paul made his way to Philippi only to be arrested for casting a demon out of a slave girl in the name of Jesus Christ. Once set free from prison, Paul made his way down through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to this city called Thessalonica. It was here that the Jews had established a synagogue. But after only three weeks of Paul preaching and teaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those unbelieving Jews created an uproar in the city and brought a mob of people and attacked or assaulted the house of Jason. For fear of his life, Paul left Thessalonica and made his way down to Berea where God began to do a great thing, a great work, and yet once again Paul was ran out of town. A group of believers from Berea accompanied Paul to Athens and Paul, once arriving in Athens, sent them back home with word to both Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens where Paul truly expected to see great fruit for their labor. While he waited, Paul's heart was concerned for the believers back in Thessalonica who hadn't just just trusted Christ as their Savior. But immediately they had begun to face great opposition and great persecution. However, try as he might, due to circumstances beyond his control, the Apostle Paul just, it seemed like everything was working against him to get back to this line. Paul now has come to the point where he just can't stand it any longer knowing that these new believers in Thessalonica needed some guidance, the Apostle Paul sends Timothy back to them along with this letter to help encourage, to explain and to establish these Christians in their newfound faith. We pick up our reading this morning in First Thessalonians in chapter number 2 with verse number 17 where Paul says this, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but 
Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that ye have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distressed by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. If you're in the habit of marking things in the Word of God, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 8 of 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 3, where the Bible says this, For now we live... If ye stand fast in the Lord. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For a few moments this morning, I'd like to consider this thought. We're in this together. We're in this together. I know our theme is been directed towards football, but this past Saturday I had the privilege of coaching some boys basketball. Every Tuesday night we practice, and yesterday was our first basketball game, and we kind of went to the game with a little bit of trepidation, you know, as as a coach I begin to understand where where the team is and and, and their strengths, and at this point, I kind of know more of their weaknesses than I know their strengths. And so we went to the to the ball game, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. So we stepped on the court, and I, I've been focusing and emphasizing with our team that it is teamwork that makes the dream work. It is team that is going to win a game. It is working together that is going to lead to success. And it was very neat to see how that when 
that first buzzer sounded as they stepped out onto that court, man. They got together. They was working together. They was passing the ball, moving the ball, shooting the ball all together. And we pulled out a win on our first game. Man, I was excited. I was excited. I pulled the team together because the, the guys came to me to begin with and they're like, I, we don't know if we're going to win or not. We don't know if this is going to be a good day or not. And I told them afterwards, I said, guys, I said, see what teamwork can do. You see, it wasn't just one or two people working together. It was the whole team. Whenever I, as the coach, called on them and said, it's your turn to go in, they stepped up and they stepped in and they did what they were supposed to do with the team that I assembled together for that specific one. But may I say this, had one person in our team not done their part, we would not have won that game. We come to the idea of football. Someone has correctly, I think, defined football as this. Football is a game where 22 players are playing hard and in need of a break, being watched by millions of people who really need the exercise. You know, I thought that was pretty good. You see, what if the roles were reversed and the ones who were watching the game on the television were the ones who had to get out on the field and play the actual game? For most probably wouldn't make it past the first quarter, right? Uh, probably wouldn't make it to the first half, but you might not make it the first two or three minutes. We get out there and we get tired and we get done because we're not prepared to do that. May I say, to some degree, the church can be viewed the same way. Many times it seems like it's the same certain few that are always doing the work. Statistically, it is 20% of the church that takes care of 80% of the responsibilities. So what do you have, preacher? I think we might have some of this where you have a church full of people where only a few people are ready to do the work and the rest need the exercise to do it. See, the issue is... We truly are in this scene together. God did not save you to isolate you. God did not save you to then let you exist independent or on your own. As a matter of fact, the Christian life is a life that is not only to be dependent, but it is to be interdependent. In other words, the team needs you and you Need the team. The only issue is, for most, you haven't taken that step to be a part of the team. There's a lot of people not just sitting on the sidelines, but they're sitting in the stands when they ought to be down with the team, ready to step in at their point, at their responsible given time to get into the game and to fight strong for the team. I want to give you a few thoughts this morning. Again, when we look at this idea of the gridiron, we're looking at the idea of the church existing in the capacity for which God established it. Notice, first of all, a team is built on relationships. 
a team is built on relationships. Look with me please, back in verse number 1 of chapter 3. Paul says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear. What is Paul saying? Paul was not in Thessalonica. Paul was in Athens. He had been gone really not that long, but his heart was burning to be once again with those believers in Corinth. I kind of think along the lines of David where David said, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of God. You see, the truth is, you need the church in your life. Now, please don't get me wrong. I understand quite well this building is not the church. I get that. May I say, God established the church. The church is the born again people of God, but He also ordained that they would meet together. I'll go as far as to say this, if you isolate yourself from the people of God, you will not live a fruitful Christian life. You say, preacher, that's a pretty bold statement. You show me a churchless Christian in the New Testament Scriptures. What's the Bible saying? And daily were added to the church such as should be saved. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying you need the church. This is not something... Listen, I didn't go out and say, you know what, I think two or three times a week I'm going to get up and stand behind a pulpit and talk and encourage people to come listen to me. That's not my design. So Richard, who did that? God did. It was Jesus Christ who said, I will, uh, I will build my church. And He did that to the Apostle Paul as Paul and the disciples went place to place establishing local New Testament churches where they met daily uh, to take and to teach and to preach the Word of God. Why? Because together, the people of God can grow. Tonight, if God would give us the ability to meet together, we're t- tackling this thought. Uh, God designed the church for maturity. And I'll give you a spoiler alert. God did not design the church for entertainment. God designed the church for maturity. Let me get back to where we're at. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 8, Paul says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Timothy brought word back to Paul and said, Listen, they desire you as much as you desire them. Chapter 3, verse number 6. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. What's he saying? Paul saying, Hey, we are a team that is built on relationships. Listen to me. If you don't have strong relationships within the church, then your walk with God is not where it needs to be. That's what Paul's saying. Can I say this? For many of us, we have stronger relationships with the world than we do the people of God. 
See, the reality is that God created us and when He did, He put within our very nature the need to be social. To crave friendship. To have positive interactions. You say, preacher, I don't even like people. Whether you like people or not, you need people. And sometimes the people you need are going to be the hardest people to like. They are not like people. Be honest. Anybody in here not like people in the church? From time to time? You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Listen to me. We're a group of imperfect people meeting together. And you know what? Sometimes, I get frustrated at you. And sometimes, you get frustrated at me. That's normal. You say, wait a second, preacher, can you really say things like that? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, don't look at me like you're some kind of spiritual person. I know Chester gets frustrated with people in this church. <laughs> I know Miss Kathy and Miss Roberta get frustrated with people. I, hey, I, listen, I get it. See, we don't have a say in who God brings together. Brother Greg Tuckies this morning was talking about disciples. Do you realize what happened? Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee and he's calling disciples to himself. Right? He goes up and he calls Andrew and Simon and he's asking them to, to leave their boat and to follow him. And what do they do? They leave their boat and they follow him. Then what does Jesus do? Jesus walks up the seat of the competition. He said, Preacher, what are you talking about? He went up to James and John. Now wait a second, preacher. Hey, you're going to call James and John? To, I don't know about this. We've, we've been in competition and fishing business all like love. We don't like James and John. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes over to James and John. Hey, hey, won't you leave your nets and boats and come follow me? Do you think that made for an easy relationship to begin with? Don't you think Andrew and Simon might have looked over at James and John and said, I don't even like you. You remember that day that you took a bigger catch in than I, that I took? Those were my fish, not yours. You see, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying sometimes relationships get messy. And that's okay. Because what God is wanting to do within the body of the church is bring together people who may not even like each other, but they have strengths that matches the other person's weaknesses. And together, when they come together, God can accomplish something amazing. Just like a football team. When a team steps on that field, they may not know each other. They may have even played against each other in the past. But when it boils down to it, they step on that field. They need to put everything else aside. And they say, listen, whether we like each other or not, we're a part of the same team. We've got the same purpose, the same goal. And what we need to do is stand together and see what God can do. Whether we're frustrated with somebody or not. You see, a team is... Built on relationships. And yes, those relationships can be fractured in a million different ways. But you need to understand something this morning. A good relationship does not happen by accident. It happens by somebody being intentional. I found a statement by Ruben Gornitsky. He said this, We can't simply cheer people on and give them our best wishes. We have to make room for them in our lives. 
lives. What's he saying? It's one thing to just meet together and say, boy, I'm glad we're on the same team together and leave. Note these two things. We talk about being built on relationships. We're looking for relationships that are personal, not just functional. They're personal, not just functional. You see, when Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, he's not just writing to say, hey, you can accomplish a great thing there in Thessalonica. What's Paul writing? Paul's writing out of a personal care, a personal love, a personal concern for that local body of believers. He said, Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, that we need to be more intentional about developing good personal relationships within this local body of believers. Guess what? That takes time, that takes intentional effort. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying you probably shouldn't be the person walking in the door five minutes after the service starts and walking out five minutes before it's over. To be the person that's got to dart out the side door because you don't want to fellowship with anybody in the church. So, preacher, do people do that? Yeah, every week. What I thought about doing sometimes after the service, walking over here and standing here <laughs> instead of standing back there. So, preacher, why would you do that? Because I care about the church. I care about the church. By the way, it's not just my responsibility to care about the church. It's also yours. There should be a genuine love and care and concern among the team that says, you know what? I want to be with them. Preacher, why do you encourage us to be here Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Because connecting with the people of God is so important. Listen to me. There will not be much accomplished here if we don't develop that relationship. Well, preacher, if you'd preach better, listen, I can preach so I'm black and blue in the face. If there's no relationship, if there's no connection, if there's no team, nothing will change. And you can point the blame all you want to right here, but sometimes the problem isn't here, the problem's here. And I'm including myself in that, okay? Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying we've got to get to where we're spending time with each other. We are a church that has voluntarily joined ourselves together for one purpose and one goal, and that's to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. You can't do that if you're not being an effective part of the team. Personal, not just functional. Foundational, not artificial. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying these are genuine relationships that I look at this and say, hey, I need this in my life. Preacher, why did you have service today? Everybody else canceled their churches. You know why? Because I need to meet with you. Preacher, you just like to talk, be honest. No. It's really not that. Preacher, you just want to count numbers. No, it's really not that either. I know the importance of being with the people of God, doing life together, especially when it comes to our spiritual walk. Listen, you were not created to go through this life alone. And the moment you try to is the moment that you will fall, it is the moment that you will fail, and it's the moment you'll begin to slip out of where you should be. It's the moment you begin to neglect the very resources that God has placed within your life to be a help and comfort and joy and a support to you and your family. A team is built on relationships. Let me hurry. 
By the way, let me say this. God cares more about your relationships than He does your accomplishments. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, of God, He is not going to ask you how much money did you make, what kind of promotion did you get. He's going to be looking at how many lives you influenced. How you obeyed His will for your life. It is relationships over accomplishments that God cares more about. If you're not careful, you'll begin to replace these vital relationships with things that are much less important, much less valuable, and you'll stand at the end of your day not having fulfilled your potential, your purpose, because you were too distracted with things that did not matter. Second, not only is a team built on relationships, but notice in verse number 1 and 2 of chapter 3, the Bible says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Secondly, not only is a team built uh, on relationships, but a team is bettered through regular training. A team is bettered through regular training. How good would a football team be if the football team never got together and practiced? Probably not that good, right? How good would the church be if the church doesn't get together and regularly train? Preacher, you just want me to come Sunday night so that you can say, well, we had this much in the Sunday night service, and so you can call your buddies and friends and say, look how many we had Sunday night. Can I say this? I never, never talk to any of our pastor friends about how many we have here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, because it doesn't matter to me. That's not my goal, not my purpose. As a matter of fact, nine times out of ten, my response will be this when a pastor friend does ask, well, how many you run on Sunday night? I'll make this statement. We have exactly there who God wants there. By the way, I think there probably should be more people included in that. Okay, But it's not just for numbers. You see, what is Sunday school? Sunday school is spiritual training. What is Sunday morning service? Sunday morning service is spiritual training. What is, what is the, the afternoon uh, youth group and, 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 and kid venture? It's spiritual training. What is the Sunday evening service? It is spiritual training. What is the Wednesday night service? It is spiritual training. My responsibility is to dig into that book and to pray and to say, God, what does your people need? And then I'm to stand and to boldly and, and to, to proclaim the Word of God to help train you spiritually so that when you leave here, you can go out and you can do the work of the ministry. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. But listen to me. That won't happen if you're not here to hear it. He said, Preacher, you're meddling. I know. Just let me meddle a little bit. It's not just for your good. God wants to do a work in your life here so that He can do a work through your life out there. You say, preacher, I want to see God do so much more in my life. Are you training regularly? How many of you would go onto the job site without any training? More than likely, your boss wouldn't put you on there if you didn't have any training, right? And if you don't have training, what's He going to do? 
He's going to take you through the process of training you. And what does He expect? He expects you to be there, right? He expects you to participate. Why? So you can do the job well. Christ knows that the adversary is going to come against you in your spiritual life. He's going to come against your family. He's going to come against you on the job site. And he understands that what you and I need is on the job training. And he has given us a place. He called it the church. And he said, here is a place where you can go and receive the spiritual training that you need and the education that you need to go and to fight against the adversary in this world when you go out there. The power of a church is found in its closeness to Christ. It's found in its commitment to the cause of Christ. And it's found in its connection with the community of Christ. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying as we meet together, as we have a desire to do what God has established and determined for us to do, when we begin to grow closer to Christ in this setting, God's power is there where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. That's where our powers fail. That's where power comes from. The people of God come together and grow and then step out into the world. You see, this group of believers in the first century church, the reason that the church grew so rapidly is because each individual member of the team, they were committed to the team. They were committed to the body. They were committed to the church. They were committed to spiritual maturity. Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Preacher, what was different about the church then and the church now? I'll tell you the difference. They didn't have a Sunday morning only Christianity. If there's anything plaguing the church today, it is Sunday morning only Christianity. And rather than going back out in the community with great power and the desire to stay the course and to serve in the, the path that God would have us to go, we leave here being more concerned with our fleshly pursuits, our worldly pursuits, than we do the purpose for which God saved us, the purpose for which the Son of God died on the cross of Calvary. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Hebrews number 10, chapter 10, verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking this sin of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the difference. Which what he's saying. I'm saying this. You ought to at least try, try to make three services a week. Dr. Lee Robertson put it this way, it takes three to thrive. Three to thrive. What Paul is saying in Hebrews is this, he's saying there's a, there's a group of people who make it their focus not to be at church. That's your question. Honestly, right now, take and examine your life. What is it that keeps you away from Sunday school? What is it that keeps you from being at Sunday night church? What is it that keeps you from being at Wednesday night church? What is it? Focus on it. Find it. You know what it is. I'm not going to ask you to tell me. What is it that keeps you away from the house of God? Then I want you to ask this question. When I stand before God, 
Will God look at my decision and say, you made the right one? Yeah, you made the right decision. Listen, if you can honestly say that, then I say this, you do what you do because I do not want you to stand guilty before the throne of God. But if the answer to that question is no, God would not give me the okay for the decision that I've made, then what should you probably do? You should probably make some changes. Listen, not because Pastor Jay said so, but because the Word of God says. It's Scripture. It's training. It is growth. A team is built on relationship. A team is better through regular training. Notice thirdly, verse number 5, chapter 3. For this cause, when I could do no, no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us, always desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Notice here, a team is built on responsibility. Paul and Silas were making a great sacrifice. What's the sacrifice they're making? They're sending Timothy to them. When you study the New Testament Scriptures, you have Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they were a preaching team, if you will, and they went together. As a matter of fact, there's been many times in the New Testament Scriptures, you're going to find the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy and say this, Timothy, leave where you are and come to me quickly because I need you. But Paul says this, I knew the need was great in Thessalonica, and so we sent uh, Timothy to you. We decided to make a great sacrifice because you needed somebody to come along and to preach and to teach the Word of God. Not so that you can praise Him, not so that you can lift Him up, but so that each one of you individually understands your responsibility in the body of Christ and begins to fulfill it. I'll say this. If there's not something that you're doing in this local body of believers, you're missing out on the great blessings of God. God has a purpose for you. You see, true faith, growing faith, maturing faith is always followed by actions. Always. Always followed by action. It is not stagnant. It does not stop. It grows daily on a daily basis. You see, there are some things that each of us are expected to do. Just like on a football team. The center. Usually a big dude, right? The only one that can cross that line. He grabs that football. He has two responsibilities. Get the football to the quarterback and don't let anybody get through you. Usually taking the brunt of the hit, right? Then you have linemen that stand beside it. Two, three, depends on where they are, what they're doing. Their only responsibility, only responsibility, protect the quarterback. That's it. Protect the quarterback. Hold the line. The quarterback. It's his responsibility to listen to the call that's been given to make sure the team knows exactly what they're doing. And then it's his responsibility to set the play in motion, to protect that football, and to decide who to pass it to or who to hand it off to to run. The running back. His job, 
Run. Pretty simple, right? To run. He said, preacher, I don't want that job. Okay? Can I say this? If that's how God equipped you, that's what you need to do. That's your question. Have you ever had to do something in life that you didn't like? Yeah. Just yesterday, your wife made you put your clothes away. <laughs> right? She asked you to do the laundry. You said, I don't really want to do laundry. And she looked at you and said, I don't care. You're helping the laundry. <laughs> right? Kids, we make do things all the time. Listen, sometimes God knows the potential inside of you. And He says, this is what I want you to do. And you may say, I don't even like that. But God says, I put you there for this purpose and this responsibility. Now go and do it. The team is built on responsibilities. Notice that I need to close. Verse number 18. Wherefore, we, we would have, I'm sorry, verse 18 of chapter 2. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Go to chapter 3 and verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. And you know. Verse number 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted of you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. A team is built on relationships. A team is better through regular training. A team is built on responsibility. But notice, number four, that a team is bold during resistance. Paul came into Thessalonica and immediately, three weeks after being there, the, the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, has got together these men, the Bible says, who were of, of the baser sort. These are not nice dudes. And they're coming after the Apostle Paul. And Paul runs in fear for his life. Now he's writing back to the church. He's sending Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you remember the group that ran us out of Thessalonica? I want you to go back to Thessalonica. Can you see Timothy? You want me to what? <laughs> you know? Are you serious? I want you to go back to Thessalonica. And I want you to be bold. I want you to train in the things of the Lord. He tells the church, yes, the adversary is coming against you. I told you they would. Now be strong. Be bold. Be firm. Be steadfast. Why is it important to be a member, faithful, committed to the team? Because we are meant to encourage one another. To encourage one another. I, I look at you today and, and we look at what's taking place on the outside and I say this, thank you for being in God's house today. You're exactly where God wanted you to be. You say, preacher, I really didn't want to come this morning. No, but you did anyway. And I'm grateful for that because I need to meet with you. I need to see you. It encourages me to see you in your place. We're to encourage all the way through the New Testament Scriptures we are encouraged to encourage one another. How do we do that? We do that. Notice what he says here. Verse number uh, 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. You ever, you ever seen and watched a football, football game? And those football players, they're encouraging each other when they do a good job and when they don't do a good job. I mean, you'll see a football player come up to the next guy and take those hands and go, bam! And I'm thinking, that wasn't kind. And usually the football player is sitting, saying something like this, hey, you'll get it next time. 
hanging there. Give him a slap on the back. I mean, say, hey, you got it. Hey, great job. Keep it up. Get knocked down the line. I mean, they got trampled up. They got shoe prints all up their back. Hey, man, you're doing, you're doing great. Get up there and do it again. Again? What? He didn't trample me. You can do it. Get up there and do it again. Now, see, that's the body of Christ. It's what we're supposed to be. To help when it comes to afflictions, to encourage in afflictions, to encourage when it comes to appointments. There are certain things in life that you are going to go through and there's not a thing you can do about it. Not a thing you can do about it. Except be with the people of God who can encourage and support you as you go through. We're to encourage one another. Notice we continue that we're to enjoy one another. Verse number 9, chapter 3. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying this, I just enjoy being with the people of God. So preacher, how does that happen? That's cultivated. It's cultivated by selflessness on our part. It's cultivated by love. It takes intentionality. Just like Brother Greg was talking about this morning. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. Good to see you. Somebody's down at a hard week and you know that. They may need a word of encouragement. They may need just for you to sit down beside and say, you know what, can we pray together? God said my house should be called a house of prayer. How often do you come in and see somebody kneeling in prayer with somebody else within the church and just say, you know what, I know my brother my sister's going through a very difficult time. And God, I'm praying that whatever it is they're going through, that you help them. To encourage, to enjoy. Thirdly, to entreat. Let entreat for one another. What do you mean by that? Pray. The Apostle Paul says there in verse number 10, last verse there, in the last few verses there in chapter 3, Paul says, I'm praying for you. What's Paul praying for? He's praying for their health and their wealth, right? No. You won't find that in First Thessalonians chapter 3. He's not praying for their health. He's not praying for the wealth. Yet what is 99% of the prayer requests offered in churches today? Health and financial responsibilities. That's not what Paul's praying for. What Paul's praying for? He's praying for their maturity. For their maturity. When's the last time you said this, Chester? I'm praying that you grow up. <laughs> Listen, that's what Paul's saying. He knew their faith was weak. And he said, we sit Timothy and we're praying that as Timothy is there preaching and teaching the Word of God, that you would mature in your faith. Secondly, he says, I'm praying that you would love each other. Can I tell you something? On your prayer list, Brother Shane, on your prayer list, could you help me pray about something? Would you pray that I would be more loving of God's people? You say, what do you mean? When's the last time you tried to be loving to someone who ignored you? When's the last time you tried to be loving to someone who hurt you? Who demeaned you? Won't shake your hand? Talks about you behind your back? You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Listen, that happens to me, that happens to you. Remember I talked about there before, it's hard to love some people. Can I just say this? If you're not praying for anything else, would you pray that God would give me the love that I need for the whole body of Christ? Say, preacher, you can't say that. You're the pastor. Listen, I'm human just like you're human. 
I struggle just, I get frustrated just like you get frustrated. Paul says, I'm praying that you would love each other as we love you. Notice in the last verse there in chapter 3. Paul says, I'm praying for your holiness. When's the last time you prayed? Brother Bernard, I'm praying for you to be holy. We pray for needs. I'm praying for Cliff to have righteous characters. He's on the job site this week. You see the difference in prayer? What are we looking at? We're looking at a team. A team is built on relationships. A team is better to regular training. A team is built on responsibility. And a team is bold when it comes to resistance. I guarantee you, when we step outside this door, the devil is going to do anything he can to hinder you. And yet right here is where we find the strength to go forward. I want to encourage you. Man, seek to be in church at least three times a week. Seek to be an encouragement to somebody. Find somebody new and say, you know what? Hey, you're coming to our house today and we're going to feed you. Yeah. You got some guests here today. Don't do that because then you might terrify them, okay? <laughs> they may say, I don't know. You. I'm going to your house today. But when we have families that have come into the, to the, to the church and they've been coming for a few weeks, you say, well, I don't know who they are. You can solve that pretty easily. Hey, would you, would you like to come over to our house for, for lunch today? We've got a pot roast in the crock pot, and it's going to be great. You say, well, preacher, I didn't prepare for that. Why not? We're part of a team, aren't we? You see, here's the thing. If we would plan to do our part a little more often, and by the way, that meeting isn't get together and, and talk about the pastor. Pastor kept us over this morning. Here's what I'm saying. The church is a team. And whatever we go through, we're to be in it together. My question, are you willing to do your part? We're in this together. For now we live, Paul says in verse 8. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. You see the teamwork? We're in this together.